Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we talk with Cheryl Garrett, founder of the Garrett Planning Network and 2019 recipient of the Investment News Icon Award. Starting as a registered representative, Cheryl learned the ropes doing planning for a more senior advisor. She left to become a partner in a fee planning practice. Over time, the sophisticated planning they provided cost more and more, and Cheryl felt more and more strongly that the average people deserved planning too. More than that, the right advice to a middle-income client at the right time could have a much bigger effect on the client's life than the best advice they could provide their wealthier clients. She established Garrett Investment Advisors, offering planning on an hourly basis. It was almost immediately a hit. We discussed the public relations and referral opportunities she found through that business model. And then we talk about her teaching that model to other advisors through the Garrett Planning Network. We discuss how an hourly fee model can help differentiate you from other advisors. And she tells the story of how fighting for the middle-class client and the fiduciary standard got her a shout-out from the President of the United States. So let's get right to our interview with Cheryl Garrett. So Cheryl Garrett, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. So I, I, I cannot resist this. I mean, there, you are the first person that at least I've spoken to who's actually got a shout-out from a U.S president. So I'm sure most of our listeners have read the story, you know, in in the uh, trades, but can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Oh my Lord. <laughs> it's still <laughs> surreal. Um, um, the beginning of it probably happened because I got involved with litigation work um, and expert witness testimony um, using my CFP background and my background as a financial planner to work on behalf of individuals who um, allegedly received bad advice from their advisor. That um, activity plus um, I'm also one of the founding members of the Committee for the Fiduciary Standard um, enabled me to start telling that, those stories of some of the, the cases that I worked on um, in a, a large series of lawsuits in California where the advisor had basically talked individuals out of uh, or into taking early retirement and investing their money in a high-cost vehicle with little um, flexibility. And, uh, mm. um, you know, those stories were just horrendous. You know, people retiring in their late 40s, early 50s, and 10 or 12 years later, they're broke. These are life devastating kind of situations. And so never really got a lot of uh, exposure with the media on telling these stories. But I did find a great ear in the Department of Education and the Department of Labor wanting to hear from practitioners, financial planners who had worked with advisors or clients um, um, or prospective clients or knew of situations where we truly had financial abuse oh. um, you know, during the, the regulatory discussion of fiduciary, um, whether it was through the SEC or the Department of Labor. Um, you know, we 
continually heard by the folks who are arguing against fiduciary for all advisors saying that, you know, where's the dead bodies? I don't see any blood in the street. <laughs> so I was trying to um, express the stories of individuals that their stories had never been heard or told. And before I got involved in this work in about 05, I didn't really fully know the underbelly of the business. And I'm sure I still haven't seen it. Um, but my Lord, it sure shook my um, foundation to the core to think people can knowingly do this kind of harm to someone. Right, sure. um, and it's so easy unfortunately, to do. And so, yeah, it's a huge passion of mine. And I started, you know, talking to a lot of people, policymakers, um, through the Committee for the Fiduciary Standard. We got a seat at the table when when these uh, um, proposals for creating um, fiduciary for all advisors, that kind of um, uh, working document and rules and regulations, what would those look like, those principles? Um, and after a number of years, <laughs> um, the DOL came out with their second um their, their revised DOL a fiduciary standard. And hence, um, um, the president um, jumping on board. Well, what happened and why I got the shout out, um, well, I guess I don't really know why I got a shout <laughs> out, uh, particularly, um, other than, you know, telling these stories about these victims of financial abuse, or the faces of financial abuse. And, um, meeting Phyllis Borzai, the assistant secretary mm -hmm. um, at that time, and it, telling many people about these stories, bringing some of them to uh, D.C. to testify um, and participate in the hearings and let them know what um, other financial advisors had seen. And so I, I contacted um, an extended network of financial advisors and asked them to submit stories to me that they had either run into or clients they had worked with that had become uh, victims of financial abuse. And so I collected a lot of these stories and I shared them. Um, and so I was getting interviewed by people at the Department of Labor to help make their case on why the rollover concept needs to be part of the rules. You know, where did the money come from? Mm -hmm. Does matter when you make a recommendation to you know, take money out of a divine benefit plan or to mortgage your house and put it into this investment, right, um, sure. you know, it, it matters. And there's no regulation that covers that right now. Um, so I, in stressing these stories from the individuals, um, ended up on the phone with a speechwriter of President Obama's. That's awesome. And I spoke, to, I spoke to her for about an hour telling the stories, and it felt very much like speaking with um, the folks at the Department of Labor or a journalist um, or yourselves. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, what happened? What happened next? How, what, how did that happen? You know, and I shared that story. And about a week later, I got a call from one of the people I had been speaking with at the Department of Labor. I hadn't really registered that that call the week before was from someone at the White House. Um, I didn't really think it mattered. Mm -hmm. um, so I get a call from somebody at the Department of Labor on a Friday in February, and she said, Cheryl, is there any chance you could be here on Monday? And I looked out my window at the ice on the ground, and I said, yes. <laughs> and there's no sure. way, there is no way to get from where I live to D.C. Um, in a, a direct way. Um, so 
<clears throat> I was going to get there and did. And uh, um, I had no idea um, what was going to happen. I was hoping that some of the these victim stories would be picked up in some comment that President Obama would make. And I was going to, you know, get on YouTube and try to pull up uh, copies or, or recordings of his speeches and see if I could hear something about of uh, these victims. That's what I was hoping for. Right, right. Whoa. You got a whole lot more than that. Was my mind blown when, <laughs> when uh, he actually specifically quoted me. That's and, very cool. Uh, um, yeah, it was surreal yeah 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 well and and so congratulations yeah congratulations on yeah, that that's four that's, year that's, anniversary last oh, well, saturday <laughs> it feels like it just I happened um, it's it's so, amazing and so congratulations for that yeah congratulations on that and also congratulations on your uh, icons and innovators award we're oh, thank you. very excited to see you get that and and a lot of that comes from your work um, you know, develop really developing the idea of uh, hourly fee planning as a proposition, so that you know, middle-income folks could can access competent planning as well. Absolutely. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to 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 developing that hourly philosophy? Sure. Um, I started as a registered representative for one of the large financial services companies when I was 24 years old had no background in college or anything like that. I was a registered rep and I wasn't the type that makes uh, cold calls. <laughs> Didn't know that was part of the job at the time. This was in the 80s. <laughs> and uh, um, so in other words, I was miserable at it. Um, I went to work as an assistant planner to a fee-only advisor, kind of worked myself out of a job um, as my skills increased and I had attained my CFP designation by that time. And then I worked for a hybrid planning firm. And I had been in the business between, you know, say, five to eight years by that point. And I was starting to get a little bit comfortable with actually client contact five to eight years <laughs> into the business. Oh, yes. My initial um, experience um, with, it was IDS, the predecessor to Ameriprise, um, was so uh, impactful uh, on my life that I didn't want to have any frontline or exposure to clients. <laughs> I was scared of it. Um, I didn't want to have that. And about eight and a half years of being afraid of being the front line um, with clients it tends to shock people quite a bit when they hear that. And it's, it's the honest to God truth. Um, then uh, I got to the point, you know, at eight and a half years in the business, I got to the point where I was doing, you know, say 90, 95% of my boss's um, job as far as creating a financial plan, creating the, the recommendations, but he would present it to the client and he had the interaction with the client. But I was actually um, doing the analytical work and coming up with the recommendations for the most part. And over um, a period of three or four years, um, you know, more and more. And I started thinking, you know, well, Okay, I won't go into those details, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, right. <laughs> I was making a third of what, um, you know, he was making, okay. and uh, he was one of the junior bosses. So I knew I was being, um, there was more opportunity out there for me, and I needed to either approach that company for um, 
can I do something other than the role that you really love me in? Um, because they they had um, two of us in a position that it was really perfect for the firm or for them and not perfect for the two yeah, of right, us. Right. And uh, um, she ended up becoming a partner. I ended up moving on and I joined a, a very um, a young but very rapidly accelerating uh, bursting at the seams, uh, fee-only wealth management practice um, as an equal partner. And I spent uh, another three and a half years um, with with uh, my partner, um, Kathleen Stepp, um, in the Kansas City area. And all of my um, background is in the Kansas City area working with clients. And um, working with Kathy Stepp was a great experience for me. She had has um, a great level of confidence. Um, she wasn't at all afraid of... of uh, pitching a substantial project to a client and a substantial fee to go along with that and not fall off her chair, which I needed as <laughs> for because it's like, oh my God, if they sign this, we can and, do payroll. Uh, um, and, so And what was the what was the what was her model? Was it was it uh, a, a fee for project or was it a AUM or how how did she how did she bill? What is the word I'm looking for in a complex way? <laughs> It was a combination <laughs> of earned income and assets under management, tearing down for three years and then leveling off. So it actually took a worksheet to calculate okay. somebody's um, fee for the first year and then, you know, the next year and, you know, based on the numbers today, this yeah. year, next year, and your next year, and then subsequent. She almost needed to plot it out for four years to kind of get an idea of what would my fee be because the okay. first couple of years could be super big. Um, but we were one of the few options for a fee-only financial planner um, in the Kansas City market at that time. And Kathy had had uh, built reputation and was starting to get a lot of phone calls. And, you know, basically the phone was ringing off the hook kind of thing. And a lot of people wanted our services. But at the time I joined her, her minimum was $2,500 a year. Uh, by the time I left, it was 4000 Shortly thereafter, it became 10000 oh. Um, And that was not uncommon for the type of services we were providing. Oh, okay. So sure. I think that this really holistic, very deep dive, um, full-service um, wealth management firm and the services they provide are appropriate for a minute part of the population. And... I come from a very middle class, middle America background. Yeah. Uh, my father uh, grew up very, very poor. Um, and his mother's lessons are some of the most important lessons um, that I still subscribe to today. And working for very wealthy people when I knew they had other options, you know, even though there weren't lots of financial planners, a few only financial planners in the area, and we were getting lots of calls, um, you know, they were still underserved. Um, people with limited assets had no options okay. for an objective fiduciary advisor. And I just, I just had to do it. And I got to the point, um, my, my business partner, as I mentioned, she was very strong, um, strong in a way that was good for me, but also strong in a way that caused me to say, all right, it's time to jump out of the nest. Okay. You, you can fly, Cheryl, try. <laughs> and I, I, I told myself, you know, if I can make a couple thousand dollars a month, I can build from there. 
you know, I was really keeping it, um, keeping it low and, and uh, trying to keep my expectations reasonable and, um, you know, my costs very modest. And I just put together the concept of, of uh, yeah. how would I want financial advice if I were a consumer? So Cheryl, did that did that kind of process really? I mean, were you clear at that point that if you could deliver something to, you know, a different type of client on an hourly basis, that that would be a real differentiator for you? Could you see that and see how that might also work for for other advisors? Um, I think um, subliminally, Julie, I was thinking about um, that it would be different and unique. But actually, it was much more selfish than that. I wanted to be able to not say no to a person calling on the other end of the line and saying something like, uh, you know, we've been turned down by so many other advisors and, you know, we only have $435,000 to work with. And if you could at least call me back and tell me no, um, and I called the woman back and I said, I don't care if you have $4.35. I would be honored to work with you if I can help you. Okay. And she started crying. Um, it, it was a personal, um, it tugged at my heartstrings. It's, these are the people, you know, when we hear it frequently, we can make a difference in wealthy people's lives. But, you know, adding 10 basis points or adding, you know, whatever to a wealthy person's bottom line will not change their life. But if you are able to make some adjustments in a young person's life when they're just starting out or a a middle income person, and and I'm not talking about necessarily statistically or uh, officially middle income, but those who identify with being middle income, which is actually the majority of Americans, they don't need or want to pay for a Mm full-time financial advisor, yet they have questions about their money all the time. So when I ask myself, you know, how would I want financial advice to be rendered to me? Um, And actually, uh, a state planning elder care specialist, friend of mine, colleague, suggested that I read the book, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And that that concretized the whole concept of of figuring out what my primary aim and I, I spent time in a meadow you know per my my friend's uh, um, suggestion with this uh, book and worked out what eventually um, and it actually has not deviated hardly at all in over twenty years to help make competent, objective advice accessible to all people. And so how does that sound when a member of the, plan, of the Garrett Planning Network um, talks about what they do and what they do for people? How does, that, how does that come out? How does that sound when they describe it? That is actually our slogan <laughs> um, for okay. the, the Garrett Planning Network. And one of the things that I am very proud about is that being able to provide that accessibility because what Kathy and I couldn't do in her firm, um, she taught me a lot, but I also learned that what I needed and wanted out of this profession was to to be able to make a difference in, in lives of people more like me and more like those I grew up with. And, you know, I got a lot of psychic benefit um, out of working with those with our um, members of the Garrett Planning Network, a lot of people heard my story. I was uh, presenting at 
the last uh, Institute of Certified Financial Planners conference in July of 1999, um, talking about financial planning, what do I do as a CFP, what does my day look like, to a group of newly minted financial planners and CFP students and brand new CFPs. And they could relate to how I was working with clients and they could see themselves doing that work very soon. Whereas some of the other panelists on this uh, panel of five practitioners, um, it was either a role that there are extremely few of them across the country, or they don't really want to be in a sales role. They want to be a consultant, um, a trusted advisor. And so very naturally, I think, many people resonate with the ability to truly and significantly impact the quality of somebody's life. So this is, I mean, this is such a significant leap as a model, right, for, for, for many and, and unique in this industry. And I know a lot of the questions certainly that I hear are about, uh, you know, A, does does the hourly fee model that you've you've put in place, you know, resonate more with clients? And then how do you even figure out what that hourly fee is? I mean, there's some confusion around that, I think, for people who'd like to take that leap. Yeah, I heard a lot of folks in the industry and still do, but fewer. um, When I was first sharing this idea of what I wanted to do, what I was planning to do is offer my services to anyone who could pay my my fee um, and that I could deliver Um, competent objective advice to as a fiduciary advisor. Um, So that doesn't mean they can come in and hire me to answer one question. I mean, I still have to fulfill my fiduciary obligation. I have to understand my client. I have to, you know, get enough information to really do it. So it's not, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, one question answered, that'll be three and a half dollars. Yeah, that would be a quick way to poverty. Um, Think about how, and this is what I did, I looked at other consulting professions in this country, and almost every single one of them have a component or exclusively charge for their time. So we are in an industry that's partially determined or defined by how we're compensated, which is weird. I think it's the only industry I can imagine that part of the how do you define or cluster um, providers is how they're paid. How odd is that? Um, And then, um, you know, clients care about the quality of the the advice and, and can you help me where I am now? They are presuming and they have every right to presume that an advisor will put their best interests first as a fiduciary. That's what clients expect. And in my book, that's what they deserve. And um, to be able to fulfill that fiduciary obligation, I believe we need to be able to truly tailor our advice to the specific needs and concerns of the client at the time, uh, in your professional opinion. And so by charging for our time, I can expand it or contract it to fit the specific needs of the project or the needs of the client, the questions of the client. And so I find that very fulfilling, you know, and still to a large degree, a lot of the public don't know that they pay for financial advice or they pay for something. Um, they pay for yeah. <clears throat> whatever you call it. Um, and so now it, we, we do have the concept of 
it is very transparent, which actually, I argue, makes it more referable. Okay. In my former incarnation um, in the wealth management practice, as I mentioned, it took a worksheet to determine somebody's fee. <laughs> so imagine, and, and we had clients say, you know, I referred you to such and such, or we heard we re- were receiving referrals, but yet we almost never had clients that came via referral. But we had a lot of very, very happy clients. Yeah. So what's the, what's the disconnect? Well, think about it. If you're referring somebody to a service like the one we had, we're making an assumption that somebody needs and wants a full-time ongoing portfolio manager and financial advisor, and they're willing and able to pay $4,000 a year or more for this service. That's quite an an imagination or a lot of knowledge about the individual to be able to say, hey, yeah, you should call Kathy and Cheryl. Um, They'd be perfect. But when I switch to being able to answer one question or do a comprehensive financial plan or anything in between, charging for my time, someone would say over the coffee or the the water dispenser at work (laughs) scene, hey, you know, we got those new options in our, our 401k. I don't know what to do. What do you think I ought to do, Bob? Call Cheryl. And so what is the experience of... And so I got referrals from people I didn't know. And that that freaked me out. The first year, I started running into people who said, oh, you know, I heard about you from such and such. And I'm racking my brain going, I don't have clients. (laughs) And that happened over again. So So is that similar to the experience of other people in the Garrett Network? I mean, is that a, a... a fairly common experience about, um, you know, getting referrals that you think can trace back to the way you charge fees? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Because uh, we, we have a rule within the Garrett Planning Network that um, does two things. It helps the public, but it hinders the number of advisors that we have in our network. <laughs> So it's not the most brilliant way to uh, grow a giant network, Cheryl Garrett, (laughs) but it is necessary in my book to be able to speak to the public and through the media or directly to the public or a prospective client and say, I provide competent, objective advice accessible to all people. And so, of course, it is implied that you know, there will be a fee. You have to be able to pay my rate, but it's not free, but it's accessible. Yeah. And so um, what we've found is that many people, they had that same philosophical desire to be able to, to make a difference in people's lives that are the backbone of America, Main Street America, Middle America, whatever you want to call it. We're talking over 80% of the population and nobody's there to serve them that's not in a sales capacity for the most part. So we have this immense opportunity. Yeah. And now as the word continues to go out that the people that come to us, this is exactly what they're looking for. Um, so we get calls in at headquarters now. Of, I, want to find, I want an hourly only advisor. Ah. Um, we in the network, um, because I spent 11 years of my career um, kind of testing the waters. That's the best way I could describe it. Bouncing around from things that I didn't like and I really hated or, or partially loved. And, hmm. you know, so I took 
I, I felt it was all a learning experience. And I, I have to say that I would do it all over again exactly the same way because I would not have been able to develop the opinions and the viewpoints of what I have and what I embrace now um, sure. so fervently if yeah. I hadn't have been, um, you know, in litigation um, um, work or I hadn't have worked on a wealth management um, platform right. that, you know, when people called really need and help and I had no one that I could refer them to. Sure. Can can you give us a couple examples of some success stories, and, and specifically from from the from uh, the perspective of how they differentiate, how they talk with clients, and and how it affects how referable they are? Do, can you give us a couple examples of folks from the network and how that's been successful for them? The concept of, of charging for time versus assets—that's mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. basically what we're yeah. talking about. Right. I just find that describing it as hourly um, or time-based, you know, time-based is kind of complicated versus asset-based. So I call it hourly. A couple of of examples, very extreme examples of the type of work that we're able to do. Um, And it's, it's holistic financial planning and we get paid for all of our work. That's the important part because so many financial professionals don't. Um, they're only able to get paid for the things that they can put a product into. Um, and so by by charging for our exact time, we're tailoring it to the neat, unique needs. So I'm going to tell you a story about um, lower income, lower middle income family or couple rather that I met. And when I, I got a call from the wife and she was um, very upset that they were in the hole $300 a month and didn't know what to do. And so we sat down for a get acquainted meeting. Um, she had completed my questionnaire, and I looked at the questionnaire. And very quickly, I, you know, in in at that time frame, interest rates on mortgages were, you know, probably six something. I don't I don't remember. And they had a ten and a half percent rate. Oh. And so one could have very quickly said, hmm, uh, "Refinance your mortgage problem solved. You're done." However, I probed a little bit deeper and found out that there was a whole lot more going on and a lot of baggage related to the house they had. And why in the world did they have a 10.5% interest in the first place? It was owner financed. 10 years before, they had had terrible credit. They had personal baggage attached to this house and they didn't have nearly enough storage. So the husband was spending another $300 a month to store his stuff off property which he needed to go get every day. Um, <laughs> and working together, their total fee was under seven, uh, six, excuse me, under $800 with 700 and something dollars. We met about three different times. They did all, most of the legwork. I can just provide the coaching and the motivation and the ideas um, and uh, sent them on their way to do these things. And what they ended up with was a new house on three acres. It was a um, manufactured home, 2,200 square foot with a oversized um, uh, full basement um, and his garage and workshop on three acres. And they ended up cash flow ahead after this change in their dream home heading into retirement with a, a virtually hmm. very, very low maintenance. And they came from a 700 square foot, somewhat dilapidated hmm. home. So I, I find their story to be one of my most satisfa- satisfying engagements that I was able to take someone who was in dire tears 
um, of God, you know, how are we going to do this? It just looks like right to retirement will never, ever happen. And they were in mm-hmm. their late fifties. Interesting. And all of a sudden just making a few tweaks by looking at what might be available. It changed their world. Yeah. At least that aspect of it. Um, another couple. Well, actually, into- um, Cheryl, Cheryl, if I can jump in, I, I, what sure. would, what I'd really like to share with our listeners, because our, you know, our listeners are financial advisors themselves. And so we'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to highlight a few success stories of people in your network and how this particular approach to financial planning um, has helped them develop a more successful business. Um, mm-hmm. Just like you know what what you found when you broke away from Kathy and, and started your own. Well, I've I've shared these stories with our members, and and our members share stories with the public and the media, and and it's one of those things that once you tell the story, people start repeating it. Um, when mm-hmm. I first launched my practice in on July or excuse me April first April Fool's Day of 1998, <laughs> I started getting press. I'd had a tiny tiny bit of press before that, but once I went hourly, all of a sudden I was a story, and oh, okay. uh, you know it was within weeks, <laughs> and um, within two years, less than two years, I could no longer take on new clients. I had to add professional staff. Um, within the first full year, actually, it was 15 months at that last uh, ICFP conference, Bob Veres pulled me aside and said, how's things going? I said, oh, my God, amazing. I'm having the time of my life. And he said, well, I can, I can tell I'm watching all these people flock behind you wanting to know what you have to offer. And, you know, girl, I know you're a capitalist. Package it and sell it. And <laughs> he said, six months. I'll give you six months to do it. Because I told him I was thinking really hard about it and planning to do it. He said, I'll give you six months. And I said, one year. And one year later, we launched our first training class, and that was in July of 2000. So, yeah, Bob Veres um, gave me a, a very helpful nudge um, to uh, basically tell me to quit giving it away and make it available. And then someone else, and I, I regret not remembering um, this person because I reflect on this comment so often. It was so powerful. He said... Cheryl, if your primary aim in your vocation is to help make competent, objective advice accessible to all people, how can you do that working with the end user client? You must work Mm -hmm. with the providers because if you're working with how many, four to 600 clients, how's that changing the world? Yep. as big as you want to. Imagine if you're working with four to 600 advisors and they're each working with four yeah. to 600 clients. Mm-hmm. And I started going, damn. <laughs> okay. Once again, um, the obvious has yeah, been right. revealed. Exactly. 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 <laughs> and so, so the people, the people that, that ahead, call, call on us are, you know, they've, they've read about it. They resonate with it. They go, oh my God, that's what I wanted to do. That's, I, I didn't realize this existed. That's what I heard from clients. That's what I hear from financial advisors. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask from a, you know, like from a tactical perspective, you, you were sort of mentioning the stories that you are able to tell, those success stories and how that um, 
is also a way for advisors to drive the growth in their business because they repeat those. But it's, it, it's interesting to step back and look at that as a tactic here is like when you're sharing these stories and uh, through yourself, mm-hmm. that seems to be what attracts people. And, and we talk to advisors a lot about storytelling. I mean, would you agree right. that, you know, that they need to perhaps do more of that in order to, to drive referrals? Oh, Julie, absolutely. Um, I think that to connect with another human being by sharing a story, it's the, it's the best way. And I do that a lot when I worked with clients. I do that with I'm working with advisors. Um, and, you know, they may be my personal stories of when I was working with a client or it's a story that I have, have gained from talking to another advisor. Um, and we all learn and share from each other. Um, people can relate to stories. We noticed that when we look at articles in the newspaper, in the Kansas City Star newspaper, which I got my first press exposure, and it was the most valuable for building my practice, was my local newspaper. And the most um, commonly read articles were the question and answers. Um, People really like to um, hear the stories of other people when they do a money makeover people would read those and they cut them out. And I did a number of money makeovers and people would come in with copy, a folder full of stories or <laughs> articles um, where I was part of um, a money makeover or a question and answer series or something like that. And so um, without the ability to talk about how we can approach something and how it will work and what we can do, one of the, the areas that people often look at hourly advice as this will, we can make our services available to people who have very minimal means. Here's another area that I didn't think about at the time, but it blew me away when it started happening. And now it's a huge part of of what a lot of our members do. It's the do-it-yourselfers out there, or maybe validators is a better term. Those people that would not delegate the management of their portfolio, but yet they know they have questions about, you know, the holistic planning aspects. Um, one one couple was uh, self-made millionaires, um, did quite well with their investment portfolio, but there were a number of other areas that they wanted to look at in their financial plan. And they budgeted to spend $2,000 a year with the advisor to be able to, to do this type of work. But they had come in um, two times to our wealth management practice and walked away after being quoted over $22,000 annual fee hmm. yeah, because it was all or nothing. So to be able to really like kind of Stephen Covey approach to financial planning, what are the most urgent and critical issues now? All the while remembering that financial planning is a process, not a product. We're not trying to do everything. We're trying to do what is critical and urgent for this client right now or what will be, you know, immediately or or shortly and go about it through time because financial planners relationship with a client is a long time relationship, you know, kind of like, you know, a dentist or something like that or an attorney, hopefully not. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, so it sounds as though, you know, so, so having, having that, that hourly approach to it opens up new opportunities to work with folks and it also makes for great stories. Um, and, and, you know, it sounds like, you know, that, that could really enhance referability because that's what, you know, people will share 
that you can really parse it down and 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 it also sounds like it can help you like it did you get uh you know get some nice press exposure because you know you can position yourself that way and that makes you a nice you know somebody somebody that that a reporter would be interested in talking exactly. with and, and and be a story well it's you know cheryl we we uh we'd love to keep talking but we um we we have to wrap it up for our for our listeners um you know I'd, I'd love to be able to uh help people get hold of you and learn more about the garrett planning network and and how they too could explore this as a business model for themselves where where can they go to find out more about that at garrettplanningnetwork.com um, would be the best place to begin. And from there, under four advisors, there's a number of uh, details, lists, recordings. And we also offer um, and host um, a weekly call for interested parties. And this could be folks that might be interested in referring people that do not meet their minimum or their target market, and they want to refer them to a Garrett member. It could be someone who's exploring making a change or someone who has a real calling and they think this might be a good fit for them. So everybody is welcome to attend these calls. Oh, that's great. Well, Cheryl, thank you again for spending some time with us and, and yeah, and share and thank you and congratulations again on your award, much deserved. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us on becoming referable. Oh, thank you. It's the best thing I could have done is to go hourly <laughs> and okay. to Bye-bye. make that easy for people. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on becoming referable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.